I'm Kyle Bushland, and you're listening to NIS Voices, where we bring you inspiring stories about learning, community, news, and more from Nanjing International School. I'm here with our very special guest, Dr. Sonia Magania, digital age learning pioneer, award-winning teacher, best-selling author, and Oxford Research Scholar. He's written Enhancing the Art and Science of Teaching with Technology, as well as Disruptive Classroom Technologies, which introduce the next generation learning model, the T3 framework. His latest book, Learning in the Zone, The Seven Habits of Meta Learners, comes out this spring. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I've also got NIS IT Director, Dr. Shannon Doak here with us today. On our last episode with Dr. Doak, we discussed what true tech innovation is. And today, Dr. Magania can tell us exactly what that looks like with his T3 framework for innovation in particular. Glad to be here again, Kyle. So, Dr. Magania, let's uh, start with your general thoughts on EdTech in schools today. I, uh, thank you very much for that, Kyle. Uh, generally speaking, I think we're at a better place than we were two years ago. And that's, I think, a safe statement to make that the uh, global pandemic has forced education as a whole uh, to think very deeply about technology and the use of technology. And I think that in terms of serving learning, um, we learned a lot, um, but I think there's a greater awareness that we can't possibly have a modern learning system without using modern tools to serve the needs of modern learners and prepare them for the future. So I think generally speaking, we have some things that are worthy of celebrating uh, and uh, continuing, but there's also a, um, an, a cautionary tale. And, and this is it. Simply having access to technology, um, which for many, many years has been the sole determinant, the sole indicator of innovation was whether or not learners had access to technology. And I think we learned very quickly that that alone does not move the impact of needle forward. So while I, I'm a very positive person and I'm very optimistic, we have to be very aware that the technology access alone will not automatically transform learning experiences. It was almost overnight we went to remote learning with learning management systems, LMSs became very popular, video conferencing systems became very, very popular, and yet that did not automatically transform learning experiences. I like that. I like the uh, idea of technology and the access is not being everything that it has to deal with the use of it being contextually relevant it's a great way to phrase it Shannon. and in fact you know there's in my book i wrote about this uh, concept called techno determinism <laughs> which is a funny way to put it but it's uh here's what i mean by techno determinism it's almost like a field of dreams approach where a lot of people thought if you bought the tech transformation would come you know, mm -hmm. So if you build it, they, he will come. Uh, that that uh, wonderful uh, movie. Uh, so <laughs> techno-determinism is a lot like that. You're standing out in the field saying, all right, we're just going to buy tech and the transformation is just going to come. Well, that's a false hope that, that will never work. It never has and it never will. Uh, so we have to let go of a kind of bias about technology that, that it will automatically, just by its mere presence, improve learning and teaching when the when the uh, evidence base uh, doesn't support such a hyperbolic uh, uh, idea. So this kind of brings us into the T3 framework for innovation, doesn't it? 
It does because I, look, I've been at this game a long time. Yeah, I've, I've been uh, in the educational research and education business for 40 years. So I started teaching in 1982, and um, around that time, I did my first research study and on on technology. So right around the time that digital tools became more prevalent in schools is when I started to like take a look under the hood <laughs> and say, what's really going on here? Um, and the unfortunate side of this of this work is that we've spent billions and billions on technology. And I think it's safe to say that we have yet to see a return on investment. And that's a confounding problem. Why is it that technology is not transforming education when it has transformed nearly every other human endeavor you can imagine? That's a poser, isn't it? Mm. I'm picturing the interactive whiteboard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and how it it just didn't really do with anything but cost so much money. Mm-hmm. I'll quote from my first book. Uh, someone said, "This technology will radically transform teaching and learning as we know it. Books will become obsolete within 10 years." Who do you think may have said that statement? It was Thomas Edison. What's it? Oh, wow. wow. 1912. And he said about a new technology that was going to radically transform teaching and learning and make books obsolete called moving pictures. So we're so we have to have a little bit. We have to understand history, have have some appreciation for the historical context uh, that has brought us to this place. There will always be uh, the hyperbole of the digital promise that these tools will automatically transform things. And the reality is motion pictures did not radically transform teaching and learning, Mm -hmm. nor did the advent of radio or television or any other electronic device. And here's why the tool itself is inert. It does Mm -hmm. nothing. It neither adds value automatically, nor does it take value away by its mere presence. The value is made manifest in the manner in which the tool is used and by whom. And that seems like a reasonable statement, doesn't it? Well, it also brings to mind the years of research, which basically says if you're just using a tool for content delivery, there's no significant difference. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And so that the reason why I, I developed the T3 framework is because for, for 40 years, I've just been confounded by this wicked problem that technology does not seem to be moving the needle of impact forward. And so I just started researching methods and teaching, teaching strategies and learning methods. Uh, and then I was very fortunate to work with uh, uh, some of my uh, some giants in education, Dr. Robert Marzano, with whom I collaborated. And I wrote my first book with uh, Dr. Marzano as my co-author, uh, Enhancing the Art and Science of Teaching with Technology. Uh, I've had the great honor of working with uh, Professor John Hattie and his work on, on illuminating the fact that we're putting our focus on the wrong thing. And that's really what, why T3 came about, is because if we just focus on the tech, on the tools, then, and even on on the use of those tools, we're missing a, an opportunity to create a new pedagogy. And that's what drives the use of technology. It's pedagogy first, technology second. So I can sum up the, the research that, that into a, a simple metaphor. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a musician uh, in my book, as you know, I, uh, Shani was so kind of sharing that with uh, colleagues. I, I've, um, I have a lot of rock and roll references, a lot of musical references. 
when it comes to modern teaching and learning, high impact pedagogy provides the melody and high impact technology use provides the harmonies and together you get great music. So pedagogy is a living thing. I've always treated pedagogy as something that, that evolves with the times and the needs. Unfortunately, we're still using a pedagogy from the 19th century. Uh, that's a tell and practice methodology where teachers tell students what to memorize. They tell them what to practice. Learners go and practice that knowledge and retain it and then demonstrate their ability to retrieve that content knowledge on some test or assessment. That mm -hmm. model alone just does not prepare students for the complexities of the modern world. Uh, it may prepare them to work in factories, and that's what education was designed to do, really. It was designed to prepare um, an industrial age workforce. Well, now we're in the digital age. We, need, we have a knowledge economy. So learners have to be more fluid with uh, knowledge production, knowledge contribution, knowledge generation, analysis, problem identification, critical exploration of problem spaces. And that will prepare students, not just for the learning of now, but for the learning of the future. And that's why I came up with this framework to help arrange uh, or, or provide a sequence of modern learning that's that's borne up by by uh, best practices. And I should probably tell you what, what, what T3 is all about because you know it's, there's three domains, there's three critical domains of learning. So I've taken the concept mm -hmm. of modern learning and broken it into three segments. T3 stands for the three phases of learning. T1, which is translational, T2, which is transformational, and T3, which is transcendent, translational, transformational and transcendent. And those are the three stages of learning in the modern era. How do you get from translational to transcendent? How can schools start this journey? Yeah, a great question, Kyle. This is, you know, I wanted to create a blueprint for systems to actually embrace a modern pedagogy, a learning pedagogy. And I think the research base is pretty deep on what to do. I mean, we've known what to do for some time. The question is actually applying it, putting it into practice in classrooms. Um, so to get to the, first of all, we have to get to the T1 level. Um, and a lot of folks are, are at the T0 level. Fewer now because of the global pandemic, more people are using technology and are, are less reluctant users of digital tools. But the T1 level is translational learning. And it looks like this. Right now, people, your, your guests, your, your um, uh, audience is listening to this conversation. So they're consuming what we're saying. They're just consuming our uh, conversation. And we're using technology to automate the process of delivering this content. So we're using automation, the principle of automation and the principle of consumption to enhance an audience's ability to access new information. So people are listening and they're translating what I'm saying into their own sort of cognitive schema, into their own internal frameworks of how they make sense of the world. So translational learning is literally translating some external source of information into our own internal understanding. It's analogous to surface learning, where we acquire new vocabulary, new terms, we acquire new facts and new ideas that are built on facts, which are built on those words. So we're translating external vocabulary terms, facts, and ideas into our own sort of internal shorter-term memory systems. But we gotta be careful okay. because short-term memory doesn't last. It doesn't last. And far too often, 
that's where school systems stop their technology use. And they see translational learning with technology as a stopping point. From my research indicates, it's really a starting point, not a stopping point. So to get to the next phase of transformational learning, and that I define as the type of learning where a student is taking the facts and the ideas and the new terms and deeply understanding them, generating meaning and, and deep conceptual facility with those ideas by connecting, extending, uh, reflecting, and looking at the similarities and differences between that knowledge and say prior actualized knowledge or, or, or activating our prior knowledge is, is not as beneficial as really using that knowledge in, in an active way. Um, and so the, the learner's understanding and their, their cognizance will be transformed because now they really understand it. And there's two principles in the transformational domain. One is uh, the principle of production and the other is the principle of contribution. Uh, in the principle of production, I describe how students produce representations of their understanding. They produce their own feedback loops and um, they produce knowledge. They become knowledge producers, not just consumers. In the in the principle of contribution, students do all that production. They produce mastery goals. They produce feedback loops to keep and track and manage their, their emotional state, their effort that they invest, and the progress that results from self-regulation. But in contribution, that principle suggests that we learn better together. When whole classrooms are not competing for the top grades, but rather contributing to the understanding of everyone in the class, the whole class impact is far greater. It's much richer. And at the transformational phase, those strategies associated with production and contribution quadrupling student learning. So to get from T1 to T2, the imperative is there because I, I, I have yet to meet somebody who's not interested in quadrupling learning performance. <laughs> I've yet to meet a principal, a teacher, a minister of education whose, whose interest is not piqued by compounding peer-reviewed research that shows you can quadruple learning productivity. Wow. You know, what you just said reminded me of some ideas of learning, like socially shared cognition and distributed cognition. And it just makes the use of technology so much more important, especially in a world where we have to be online. Um, you know, the last two years have been pretty much forced upon us, yep. but we wouldn't be able to do that, these kinds of learning environments without technology. Yeah, that's right. And so when we use the modern context with a new pedagogy that's focused on contributive learning, the gains are explosive, explosive. So um, for, I'll give you an example. In, in the translational phase, students might use games like quizzes or cahoots or um, Mentimeter, all these other you know, gamified experiences to acquire surface level knowledge more efficiently and more effectively um, but we mustn't stop there so that's just you're automating the task of memorizing you're you're automating the task of consuming information um, and you're using technology to do it but then have students create some representation produce some um, digital artifact that they can use to represent and express their understanding and then to take it to the next step have students create tutorials 
you know, why just consume Khan Academy tutorials? I, I just never understood the point of that. You know, that, that you guys got so popular, but it's you're just listening to a lecture. It's just consumption. That will not improve student learning. But when students create their own tutorials, now they become designers of learning experiences that are predicated on contributing to the learning of others. It's a subtle shift, but it's a really important one. Yeah, the one who does the most work learns the most. Exactly. The one who's doing the teaching is the one who's doing the, the deeper learning. Now, as, as I'm, I'm listening to this, I, I'm thinking about the IB framework, which to me feels very conducive to the T3 framework. Yeah, it is actually, because uh, IB is really about helping learners not just interact with new knowledge on a superficial level, but rather go deeper and have a deeper understanding and then apply that knowledge. You know, the capstone projects and the final summative uh, projects are designed so that students can apply that learning in new contexts. So it is really conducive to this idea. And let me take about the next phase, which is what I call transcendent learning. Because remember, there's three phases of learning. Translational, where we take in new information and we store it in our short-term memory systems. Then there's transformational learning, where we, we dive in and we deeply understand that content and we compare it to other things. We reflect upon not just our, our understanding and, our, and what we can do, but our learning journeys, our thought processes. And we produce things that and contribute to the learning of others. But then we have to take that knowledge and apply it in entirely different contexts. And that's when students see their knowledge is useful as a technology in itself. It's a tool. Knowledge is a technology. In fact, if you look up the, the definition of technology, it literally means scientific knowledge that's applied to solve a problem. Mm. So when learners see their own knowledge is a technology, it's a, it's a, 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 a mechanism, a tool to apply, that can be applied to solve wicked problems that matter to them. They see their learning is not an end to itself, but a means to an end. And that's what I call transcendent learning, is you take your knowledge and apply it by generating inferences and insights that were not explicitly taught within the four walls of your classroom. But you apply that knowledge into some um, wicked real life problem that matters to you. And so in the transcendent learning, I have two uh, principles. First principle is inquiry design. Now, we can't start off uh, having kids say, okay, here's, the, here's wicked problems, go forth and solve them. Uh, you got to scaffold it. And so project-based learning, PBL type activities where students are provided with projects to, to explore and learn about are really helpful introductory stages of having kids engage in meaningful interaction uh, in, a, in, a, in a context that's different than the classroom. But then we have to shift from that because if, if we just give students projects to do, then they're not really owning the, the outcome because it's sort of packaged and, and it's scaffolded. There's a lot of guidance. That's important to start off with. But my research shows it's even more important for students to be more free and freely associate uh, by identifying wicked problems that matter to them and finding passion projects about things that matter to them. Uh, so I, I show folks the um, Sustainable Development Goals, the STGs, which are wonderful for kids to find a problem that matters to them. There's no shortage of them. Uh, 
but it, it allows them to apply their, con their knowledge into unique contexts that awaken their passion and purpose. What a great connective tool right there. We have a service as learning program at our school, and, and those standards are the guiding standards for that. Right. Yeah, and, and, and so we need to certainly give students problems to solve because then they develop habits of, of finding constraints and looking at, looking at how they can resolve the problems. But it's just as important to let students find a problem, identify a problem that we don't hand to them. They've got to figure out what makes a problem a problem. They have to do that in order to be able to create solutions. So if we just give students problems that are predetermined with a, a, a very select solution or a single answer, then I think we're doing them a misservice by not allowing them to allow students to identify an open-ended problem for which there is no solution, and they have to come up and imagine the uh, come up with a solution or imagine some new technology or some new way to solve that problem. So, wicked problem. Uh, the transcendent learning really focuses on students' imagination and their passion and purpose. And I'll tell you, you know, once a learner's passion pilot light gets turned on, it will never go out. So, you know, this brings to my mind our strategy at NIS. Student so, voice and student choice. Yeah, it just seems to fit. We try to ensure learning experiences that we provide reach all the learners and that they have choice and voice in their journey. And what you're saying shows how the T-Free framework can support this type of learning culture. Right. Absolutely, it does. And you know, this is a pedagogy I think is going to be around for a long time because uh, if you think about it, in the next 30 years or 300 years, we'll still be using the scientific method in human imagination to identify problems that arise and solutions to those problems. So there's a sustainability aspect to this work um, that I think can fundamentally transform our education systems by helping students more expediently and effectively acquire surface level knowledge, acquire deeper knowledge, and then transfer that knowledge into real world contexts so that they can become knowledge workers today. I've, I've been at this a long time, but, but the book came out in 2017 or 2018, so people are now becoming more familiar with it. And people ask, well, why didn't you write something before? Why didn't you, this is such a good idea, why didn't you share it? And the reason is, I wanted to make sure, <laughs> because I wanted to be the first one to be able to say, no, this is wrong. No, the, uh, something's amiss here. I'm wrong. And I just kept going back to the drawing board and applying the research and implementing it in different contexts. And so that way, now I'm convinced that this, these strategies and this new pedagogy um, is worthy of sharing with busy teachers and, and busy leaders because it is highly impactful. And that's why I fell in love with it. The T3 framework took that pedagogical component and actually showed how do you apply that? How is this going to impact the learning environment and the use of the technology? And I think you did a good job in your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, it's, uh, I, I very much appreciate that. So T3 yeah. really helps learners identify which strategy works best when. And that's what I really want to have happen is, is to change the narrative of modern education from teaching and teachers 
to learning and learners. Just a little shift. If we stop talking about one side, pedagogy is a two-sided coin. On one side is teachers and teaching. Methodology, pedagogy, epistemology, philosophy, all the things we value, believe, that we, we, we uh, uh, have researched about the instructional component. But the other side of the coin is the learner and the learning. And we've not been giving enough attention to what highly effective learning looks like. And that's what I want to have happen. I want, I want every teacher, every student, every administrator to be able to foment conversation. What does great learning look like at NIS? What does great learning look like here? And how do we know it? And how can we foment so that everybody has an equitable opportunity to, to learn how to learn?